We are in part four of our series on how to neighbor, our final part. By the way, the Connect cards, just hold on to them. We'll collect them at, at the end of service uh, when we receive the offering, but just hold on to them for now. But part four of our series, How to Neighbor, you know, we're, we, we've been talking about neighboring. And if you remember, the series kind of, it, it stems out of the conversation that, that Jesus had with the man where, uh, you know, the man, you know, um, I'm Jesus is talking about loving your, you know, God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And the man asked Jesus, said, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story of the, of the good Samaritan. And when, by telling that story, he doesn't so much focus on the who as the how. Okay, he's, 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 he basically, by telling that story, said how to love your neighbor, how to neighbor, you know, so that's what we've been talking about. How do we neighbor? And we started off the, you know, we've been talking about some pretty important subjects. We started off with um, tackling uh, the subject, a huge topic, and that is reconciling races. You know, neighboring those who, uh, how do we neighbor those, how do we love those who uh, are different than us, are of a different race than us. It's a huge issue in our country right now. It's a huge, it's dividing our country. How do we be reconcilers and how do we love those who are different than us? And then from there, we move to the question of how do we neighbor orphans? You know, how do we neighbor by embracing orphans? And we, we took a broader uh, uh, definition of orphan there. Uh, we broaden that to, you know, uh, uh, those who are um, the, the, the most helpless in, in our, those who cannot stand up for themselves, those who have no one fighting for them and, and so forth. So how do we embrace orphans? And then last week we talked about empowering the poor and that we do that not just by, you know, giving money to the poor, giving money to this, you know, but but how do we empower them to make a difference in their lives um, and, and break those cycles of poverty? And, you know, all of these are important parts of what it means to neighbor people, learning how to neighbor. Um, because how we treat people matters. And when we say how we treat people, we're not just talking about our friends but how we treat people who are different from us, how we treat people who are often ignored or forgotten by the rest of society, how we treat people who are sometimes taken advantage of, all of that matters to God. It, makes, it, it, it matters to Him, and as followers of Jesus, what matters to God needs to matter to us, right? If it matters to God, then it needs to matter to us. So today... We're going to talk about another uh, topic. We're going to talk about loving the lonely. Loving the lonely. Now, when God created the earth, you know, over and over the Bible says that God saw that it was good. I mean, God created the light. He saw that it was good. God separated the, the water from dry ground, and he saw that it was good. God created the sun and set it in the sky, and the moon and the stars put them in place, and he saw that it was good. God created the fish, created the, you know, the, the, the birds, and he says that, the Bible says that he saw that it was good. Over and over again, the Bible tells us that God looked at his creation and he saw that it was good. And then God created man. 
And for the first time, he said something was not good. He created man, put him in the Garden of Eden, and in Genesis 2.18 2, says, it's not good for man to be alone. So he created woman. Now, everything else was good until he saw that man was standing there by himself, and he said, that's not good. Man's alone, by himself, lonely. And we typically think of this in relation to, uh, to marriage, which is, which is true, which is good, but there's also a broader context to that, the whole context of relationship. We were built for relationship. Every single one of us, every single person has a need for other people around them. Not everyone is going to be married. Some have the gift of celibacy. Some have the gift of marriage. Some, but every single one of us has a need for relationship with people around us. It's just how we're wired. Now, if I were to ask you this morning, who do you think is lonely? I'm guessing that I would hear answers like older people, maybe somebody who's lost a spouse, Maybe somebody that's in a nursing home or something along those lines. And all that would be true. But this morning I want to expand our thinking of who might be dealing with loneliness. Because that only is the tip of the iceberg. If you think back to last week, if you were here, we talked about the fact that there are different kinds of poverty. We talked about the poor, we talked about poverty, and we said there are different kinds of poverty. And we defined poverty as lacking the resources we need, and that can be in a number of areas. There's all different kinds of poverty, and, and each one is because of lacking some, some uh, uh, type of resource that we need. And one of the kinds of poverty that we see a lot of today is relational poverty. Relational poverty is when you lack the intimacy and relational connections and our emotional connections that we need to live a meaningful life, that we need to get the most out of life. See, and here's the thing. You can be surrounded by people, but at the same time, don't have anyone that you can really open up to. You can be surrounded by people and not have anyone that you can really trust. Trust enough to just totally be yourself around. Because let's face it, most of us have a really hard time just being ourselves around, around everybody, right? Right? You know, you've got those people that, you know, you can be, you're, you can just be yourself with, and you've got those people that you feel you need a little be guard, guarded with. I mean, one of the things we value around here is authenticity in our relationships, just being real, okay? But I bet every single one of us, if we'd ask for a show of hands, would say there are some times when we struggle with that. I mean, when we say we value it, it means that's what we're going for. That's what we're striving for. doesn't mean that we're there. Okay? So, you know, 
we, 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 we sometimes lack those um, uh, people in our lives that we can fully trust, fully be ourselves, you know, and, you know, sometimes we, we feel like we don't have anyone around us who we feel really cares for us. There's no emotional connection. Relational loneliness, emotional poverty, emotional uh, or relational poverty. Social experts have four theories as to why relational or emotional poverty is such a growing problem, especially in developed nations. Let me give them to you. The first is the continual breakdown of families. And let's face it, divorce happens, right? So many of us here, so many people here have been uh, touched by divorce, either they're either themselves or, you know, their immediate family. You know, we, we've all, it, it, it's hit all of us in one way or another. And um, when divorce happens, it affects friendships. It affects relationships. Often, you know, you've got one group of friends, some of them stay with her and some of them stay with him. There's often a breakdown of relationships that happen. The second reason is increased mobility of so many in our society. The increased mobility. I mean, we all see this, especially in a college town. You know, we all have people here that are, that are uh, uh, part of this church, part of this church family for a few years, and then they move. You know, we just had a family, you know, uh, uh, Nathan and Jen, you know, and their, and their kids just moved uh, uh, this month, earlier this month, uh, to uh, um, Washington, Boston area. Yeah, and, 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 you know, it's like they're here for a few years, and all of a sudden, boop, got a job at Harvard, you know, and, and he's there. And so, you know, we see that all the time. I mean, it used, you know, people... People aren't as, as, as likely to put down roots in, in one place anymore. It used to be that people pretty much stayed in one spot. You know, 50 years ago, 75, 100 years ago, whatever, people pretty much stayed in one spot. They were raised, you know, in one location, one city, or, 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 or you know, in that general area, and they put down their roots, and that's just where they live. But it's not like that anymore. You know, relationships don't really develop over a lifetime. Now people move all over the place. For example, when I was born, our family lived in Speedway, okay? Mid-50s, our family lived in uh, Speedway, just on the west side of Indianapolis. Uh, from there, we moved to just outside of Los Angeles for about a year. And from there, we moved to Indianapolis, and we went from Indianapolis, let's see, I stayed there from uh, first grade, I went to kindergarten in California, I went from first grade through seventh grade on the west side of uh, Indianapolis, and then we moved to New York State, a little town called Yorktown Heights, stayed there for eighth, ninth, uh, tenth grade, and then we moved back to the north side of Indianapolis, where I stayed, you know, finished out high school, and uh, then came down to Bloomington uh, to go to IU. We got married. We, when, when I graduated, we left Bloomington, moved to Fort Wayne. We were there for seven years and then moved back to Bloomington again. People move all over the place. 
They move all over the place. So that's, that's the second reason, the increased mobility that we have. Third reason is the heavy workloads people are under. I mean, let's face it. People are spending more time at work, you know, um, uh, mandatory overtime, you know, working six days a week, seven days a week. Um, we have, you know, with, with working for companies that sometimes they, they, they just say, okay, these, this is what you're going to work. You're going to work these Sundays. You're going to work this. And, and just constantly increased workloads. We're so busy all the time. Sometimes it's by choice and sometimes it's pushed upon us you know, or, or thrust on us, but we are constantly busy. We don't have time to really sit down and connect with people on any level of significance. And as a result, relationships often don't get beyond the surface level. They just stay surface level because you, it, it takes time. It's, it's amazing when you get out of your regular routine. I remember the first trip, the mission trip we took to Costa Rica. And uh, went down with a team of people, several on that team I had only met once or twice. But we're thrown into the setting where we lived with each other for about 10 days. And, you know, we did everything together. We came back from that trip. A trip like that does amazing things for relationships. You know, there's, there's I mean, I'm still connected to, to those people today. And, and every time we've taken a trip, there is something amazing that happens. Uh, Tanya, isn't that right? You've taken enough trips. Doesn't something happen with the team that you're on? There's a bonding that takes place. There's relationships that, that develop. But, you know, when our, our, our workloads are so heavy, we don't, you know, we, we don't have that time because we're always on the job. Fourth reason is the rise of social media. Now you think, what do you mean the rise of social media? You know, I got all kinds of Facebook friends now. You know, just just, just look at them. You know, and, and all these people. I, you know, I wonder how. First of all, how many of those you've actually met? Um, but you know, the thing with social media, I think it's great. I've connected with people that I haven't seen in years. I connected with family in New York because so much of our family is in the Buffalo area, and so I've connected with a lot of them. You know, more so than I did when I was growing up and living in Indy. But um, uh, yet, social media gives us a false sense of relationship, a false sense of intimacy. You can connect with people without there being any sort of real relationship. And, and you know, so, so that's one reason, you know. And, or if, you're, you know, if you're, you're having a bad day, you're feeling alone, you're feeling down, so what do you do? You post a selfie you know, or, or put something on Facebook, and then you wait and see how many likes you get. Wow, I got 89 likes in the first 30 minutes, or I'm over the 100 mark, or, you know, whatever it is. It's like, and, and every time you, you know, tests have been done, and every time you, you see one of those likes or a comment, uh, this chemical, it releases a chemical in your brain. And so we tend to live for those likes, right? Am I right? It releases dopamine in our brain, and, and you know, it, it gives us this euphoric feeling, and, and we feel good when we've got so many likes. What about when you post, and three hours has gone by, and nobody's liked it? Not even your family. You're wondering, did I have a really 
embarrassing typo in there? Did I have? No, because then they would tell you that. Did I, you know, what, what, what's with this post, you know? But, but you know, it, it gives us a false sense of intimacy. And as long as all these things continue to increase in society, so will the number of people experiencing relational poverty. And the truth is, we can be in the biggest crowds, we can be surrounded by people all the time. And often we're just surrounded by lonely people. People who have no significant relational connection to anyone. And not even, and we don't even know it. We don't, we don't recognize it. They're crying out for someone to notice them, someone to care, someone to love them, someone that they can go beyond surface level with. They're crying out for that. And we don't see it because we just see this smile on their face that they hide behind. Or they seem like they're the laugh of the party, you know, or the life of the party, you know, always cutting jokes, always, you know, coming up with stuff. And, oh, man, you know. And reality inside, they're dying just because they want that deep relationship. So, what? Yeah, exactly. So how do we how do we love the lonely? That's what I want to talk about. There's numerous ways we can do this. But most of them would fall into at least one of these three categories that I want to touch on this morning. And if you look at the gospels, these are the ways that Jesus loved the lonely he dealt with lonely people and the ways he dealt with lonely people can usually be put into these three categories one of these is through touch we love through touch one of my all-time favorite stories in the gospels stories of jesus in the gospels is found in just two verses in matthew's gospel matthew chapter 8 Verse 2 says, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing, you can make me clean. There wasn't any doubt. There wasn't any wondering in this man's mind of whether or not Jesus could heal him. He didn't, he didn't struggle with that at all. He knew Jesus could do it. He had total confidence he could do it. The only question was, did Jesus want to heal him? If you're willing. It's the only con- that's, as, 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 that's the only question is, is, do you care enough? Am I worth anything to you? Are you willing? Do you want to heal me? I want to put yourself in the man's place. He was ostracized by everyone in the community. He's ostracized by the community as a whole. He was an outcast. I mean, consider, he, 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 he had a very contagious disfiguring disease. I've known people that, you know, would, had a hard time shaking somebody's hand or holding hands in church and praying and they've actually, you know, said when we've done that, you know, I'm like uncomfortable because they don't know what germs, you know, somebody has and they're a little bit, you know, sensitive to that and I understand that, especially in flu season, 
cold season where, you know, you don't shake hands, you just kind of fist bump, and when it gets really bad, you just kind of do that in the air, you know, without even touching, um, you know. And uh, so anyway, you know, think of this man. He had leprosy. He had leprosy. He's an outcast. He had to keep his distance from people, and when he got within a certain distance, he had to go around, he'd cover his face and shout, unclean, unclean. I mean, a lot of people, when they're not doing well, they just as soon sit back and nobody notice them. Well, he had to draw attention to himself just to make sure that everybody stayed away from him. How would you like to do that? It had to be humiliating. I mean, not only was leprosy you know, physically devastating, but emotionally as well. No one wanted anything to do with a leper. They just wanted them to just go away. Have you ever felt like that? Where you felt like people just wished you would go away? I mean, think of the thoughts that must have been going through his mind, you know, as he approached Jesus. As well as the fact, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, we've made a lot of advances and we understand it a lot more. But I remember when HIV first was started. And, and you know, you, you found out somebody had HIV. You were afraid to touch them, right? It wasn't understood. But that, that's exactly, it's, it, it's like that today. You know, and, and, you know, the thoughts that must have been going through this man's mind as he, you know, approached Jesus, and, and as well as the fact that by entering the crowd and coming up to Jesus, he could have been stoned to death. Could have been stoned to death. And, you know, but the thing is, he was desperate. He had had it. He had been ostracized long enough. He had been an outcast long enough. He'd been living a lonely life long enough, and he was desperate. So he made his way through the crowd, hoping that nobody would notice him before he reached Jesus. And when he reached Jesus, he just dropped to his knees before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And that was the key, if you're willing. And he was putting everything on that. He was putting his life on that. The moment of truth had come. I mean, would he be stoned to death by the crowd? Would Jesus send him away and said, get out of here? You're, 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 you're invading my personal space? How would Jesus respond? Would he be sent away in, in, in shame and humiliation? Would he be told to get back? Or would Jesus speak a word over him and heal him? Wouldn't it be wonderful? He was hoping. He was praying. He was dreaming. He was, everything was counting on, you know, if, if Jesus just speaks a word over me. I saw him do it to other lepers. He told them they were clean. Yeah. And that's the exactly thing. That's the exact thing. He's just thinking, you know, he's hoping for, for you, know, the, you know, just a word would be spoken and he would be healed because he's seen Jesus do it before. But Jesus reached out and he touched him. He touched him. I mean, he didn't pronounce him healed and then touch him. He touched him in his uncleanness. He touched him in his disease. 
He touched him when nobody else wanted to be around him. Jesus reached out, he touched him. And he not only did he cure him of leprosy, but he took away his shame, he took away his humiliation, he took away the stigma of being untouchable, and he restored him back to the community. Through his touch, Jesus demonstrated that he was no longer an outcast. He now belonged to society, just like everyone else. We love people with touch. One of my favorite stories of Jesus in the Gospels. He loved people with touch. Touch breaks down barriers. It heals wounds. Touch restores dignity. It speaks compassion. So we love people with touch. Another way we love people is we love by listening. By listening. Luke 24, shortly after Jesus was crucified, two men are walking down the road talking about all the recent events. and They didn't know yet about the risen Jesus. I mean, really, some women had come with some crazy story that Jesus was alive, and they're thinking, no, we saw him. We saw him on the cross. We know he's dead. What do you mean he's alive? You know, and, and, and just, you know, all, you know, talking about all of this and just wondering what in the world is going on. You know, the whole world comes crashing down. We had all our hopes in this man, Jesus, and then he's crucified. And then these women come in the story. Come on, what, what's going on? So Jesus walks up and joins them. But it says that God prevented them from recognizing him. Okay? He prevented them from recognizing. He kept them you know, from recognizing him. So he walks up and joins their conversation and asks them, what are you discussing together as you're walking along? They stood still, their faces just downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't have a clue? I mean, are you the only one visiting in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus could have just he knew what they were talking about. He could have just walked up and said, ta-da, here I am, guys. Hey, look, it's me, you know, and um, ended the conversation right there. But instead, he listens to them, and he asks, what things? What things? He engages them in conversation and, and, and with them, and he listened to the things that are on their heart, things that are on their mind. Now, why did Jesus do this? I don't know, there may have been several reasons. I think there's, uh, you know, that maybe Jesus wanted to model to us the importance of listening to people. He took the time to listen to people. He paid attention to them. See, when you stop and listen to people, it shows them that they matter. That, you, that you're concerned with them. It shows them that. It shows them they matter. It shows them that you're concerned, that they're important. They matter to someone. It also shows them that you, yeah, that you care. You're concerned. You care. Every single one of us needs to know that someone cares about us, that we matter to someone. One of the best ways of showing that is by listening. Shows that you care what they're thinking, care what's on their mind, care you know, what they care about, what's, you know, what they're going through, that it matters to you. You know, off the time, you know, we ask, we meet people and we say, hey, how you doing? How are you? You know, and, uh, oh, what's the typical response? Fine. Fine. That's my response. How you doing? Fine. How about you? You know, and, and we really don't go any deeper. Sometime, why don't you try this? Say, hey, how you doing? Fine. How are you? Good. Now, 
How are you really doing? Not just fine. What's going on in here? What are you dealing with? Is there anything that is heavy on your heart? And it may be that they are just fine. There's nothing in particular. You know, I remember when uh, those of you that remember Fred, way back when we were in Harmony School, conversation like this, how are you doing? And he looked at me and he said, you know, I'm doing really great. Things with my spiritual life are going great. Things with my family life are going great. Things with my school are going great. And he had like two other areas that he mentioned, you know, things, you know, are, they're all really going well. And I told him, hang on to that because it doesn't last. <laughs> we usually, most of us, we have something going on in our lives. Most people do. And it takes knowing that somebody is really interested in hearing about it and cares what you're going through before we begin to open up about that. Pardon? Yep. Yeah, that's right. See, a lot of times we are quick to respond instead of just listening. Instead of just listening, a lot of times we're quick to respond. Most, most people don't listen to understand, they listen to respond, and there's a difference. Next time you're listening to someone think, are you intent on hearing and understanding what they're saying or, you know, and where they're coming from? Or are you more intent on just, are you thinking about formulating a response and how you can fix their problem? I like to fix people's problems. I can't fix people's problems. I want to, but I can't. You know, often we just want to jump in, come up with a solution, and, you know, when we can't, we feel bad because a lot of times there isn't one that, that, you know, you just have to go through things. We don't need someone to come and fix all our problems. We just need to know that someone's listening, that someone knows what we're going through or what, what our story is or that we matter to someone, that someone cares. One, one way to show that you're listening is by, is by asking questions. So, you know, showing that you're really interested, finding out more information. The third way we can love the lonely is we love with time. We love with time. Think about this. No one ever loved anyone more than Jesus, right? No one. As much as we might say we love someone, no one ever loved anyone more than Jesus. And then think about his ministry. Was Jesus ever in a hurry? Can you think of a time where Jesus was ever in a hurry? I mean, he, there were times when he was determined he was going somewhere, like he set his face toward Jerusalem, but did he ever stop? I mean, and did he ever just, just you know, go on and, and, and refuse to be in a hurry? I mean, he did refuse to be in a hurry. Did he ever, let me back up, ignore the last 30 seconds. Did Jesus ever push anybody away because he was in a hurry? No. Think about it. Did you ever hear Jesus say to a leopard, sorry, you're going to have to come back next week. I've got to go feed 5,000 people over here, and all I've got is a lunch to work with, and I've got to figure this out. How am I going to do this? Yeah. yeah. 
Exactly, exactly. And he was, he was there for us. I mean, if you read through the Gospels, you see that, that Jesus was, was, he was never too rushed to listen. He was never too rushed to heal someone. There were times when he was tired, but he was never you know, too, too rushed to heal, to heal someone. He loved people, and he always had time for them. Time is one of the most significant ways we can love people because time is the one thing that you can never get back or you can never get more of. You have so much time, and once it's gone, it's gone. So whenever you give your time to something or someone, you're saying that they matter to you. It's one of the most significant ways that you can love someone. Time. Now, you may be sitting here today, and while we're talking about loving the lonely, you may be sitting here in the middle of everyone else thinking, I feel all alone. This is me. I want you to know something. You are in the midst of family. You're in the midst of family. We're not a perfect family. We don't pretend to be. We can get downright dysfunctional at times. You know, that, that, one, that, that, that one person in your family that is dysfunctional, never you, always the other person though, right? I mean, we c- but we're family, and we love each other. <laughs> when I talk to somebody who's been to this church, there's a lot of descriptions that you know people give of us. I won't go through all of them. But I will say this. The one that keeps coming up over and over is the word family. Because that's who we are. Do we have our differences sometimes? Yes. Do we say things that, that sometimes hurt one another? I don't know one family that that doesn't happen in. But we are family. And we love each other. That's one thing I love about this church. There's many things, but that's one of the key things is that we are family. I know pastors that don't feel like they can have relationship with anybody in their congregation. And they feel separate. I just like, this church is my family. And we love each other. It's, you know, that, so I, I want you to know that. You may be feeling like you're alone, but you are in the midst of family. Second thing you need to know is that God loves you. He designed you for intimacy because he wants to be in a relationship with you. Look what the Lord says in, in, in Isaiah 41.10. says, don't you be afraid for what? I am with you. Don't be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. He's saying, I'm there for you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm with you. You know, I'm going to uphold you. These are God's promises to his people. So you may feel alone, but you're not. 
We love you, and God loves you, and He is with you. He always has been. He always will be. You are never alone. But if you're feeling alone, I want you to know that Jesus knows exactly how you feel because as He hung on the cross and He took on the sin of the world, the Father, who is a holy God, cannot look upon sin, so He had to turn His back on Jesus. And Jesus felt so alone. I mean, think of how close his relationship with the Father was all throughout eternity past, all throughout his lifetime on earth. He'd, he had shared such an intimacy with his Father, and then the Father turns his back when Jesus took on the sin of the entire world. He had to because a holy God can't look on sin. And because Jesus was alone then, you and I never have to be. God wants a relationship with you. He wants to move into your life and make his home inside of you, make his home in your heart. I want everybody to close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. If you don't know that you have Christ living in your heart, in you. Maybe you've heard about him. Maybe you've come to some kind of intellectual knowledge of him. But if you've never taken the place where you just open your life up and said, Lord, you come in and you take over, you take charge. I'm laying down my own will. I'm laying down my own life. I'm leaving my past life behind. I'm just, I, I, I want to do this thing with you. And that's all. If you've never done that and you're ready to do it today, God is inviting you. He's given you a wide open invitation. Then I just encourage you, just slip up your hand right now to say yes to him. Yes. 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 Would you pray a simple prayer with me? It's not the words. It's not some magic formula. It's just simply expressing your heart to God. Lord Jesus, I believe you came to earth and you went to the cross to die for me. To remove the barrier of sin between me and the Father. So I want to say yes to you now. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take up residence in my heart. And help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I encourage you, if you prayed that prayer, you need other people around you that will help you to walk that walk, that will help you to live with him.
You need to get into his word. If you've never read the Bible before, we've got some out there you can just pick up. They're free. If you've never read it before, just start reading the Gospels. About, you know, the Bible is broken into two parts, Old Testament, New Testament. Find the New Testament and look for the first four books in it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the story of Jesus' life from different perspective. So I encourage you to, um, uh, uh, to get, in, get into that and then find a church. We'd love to have you here. If you're not from around here and you, know, you want to go somewhere else, and that's, that's great, but find a church family that you can be a part of. Um, and you, know, you need those things to help you grow in him. Now, um, we can go ahead and have the, uh, the worship team come up.